welcome to the sixth episode of the HR Coffee Time podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, and if we haven't met before, I'm a career coach and outplacement specialist, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. The HR Coffee Time podcast is here to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without having to work yourself into the ground. In today's episode, you'll hear from early career strategist Lola Bidgeday. She talks us through why listening to and supporting your early careers talent is just so important, as well as giving some excellent tips on how to help them to flourish and thrive, ready to become the future leaders of your organisation. So if you have apprentices, graduates or anyone else in the business who's early on in their career, you're going to find this episode really interesting. Why don't you pour yourself a cup of coffee and get yourself comfortable, ready to enjoy the show. So I'm so excited and thrilled to be joined by Lola Bidgeday today, whose business is called Solomon Consultancy. Welcome to the show, Lola. Thank you, Faye, for having me. It's been it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. You are very welcome. And Lola is also a career coach, like I am, but we were actually put in touch through a mutual contact a little while ago who said, Oh, you actually have really complimentary skill sets. You don't do the same kind of career coaching. So we got in touch with each other and I just absolutely loved hearing all about Lola's work. And I thought, ah, actually, she is going to be a perfect person to come and speak on the podcast because I think you describe yourself as being an early career strategist. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. It is. Fabulous. And so a lot of the work that Lola does with organisations is all around early careers and new talents joining the organisation, which of course is so important to nurture well. And hearing you talk about it when we had our chat, Lola, just your passion and energy and enthusiasm and ideas shone through. And I know that they're going to be so useful for the audience to hear about. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And can I just say, it's really good that you said, well, I feel really elated that you said you know when we first started talking that that my passion and my energy came through passion is actually one of my values for Solomon Consultancy and I always try and ensure that all my engagements be they just had we did I have a virtual coffee of my deliveries my coaching sessions are filled with energy so that just made my morning so thank you for saying that <laughs> you're very welcome you're clearly living your values if that yeah, is the key that's word what like that's what I like to hear <laughs> that is the key word that springs to mind if anyone were to say your name to me definitely so before we launch into hearing all about your work and your ideas around nurturing and supporting early careers talents in organisations, it would be great if we could just learn a little bit more about your background and how you came to set up Solomon Consultancy. Okay, thank you, Faye. So my background was actually in investment banking. I was a senior business manager and I did really enjoy the role. I was given the opportunity to head the global technology training team You know, it's moving back. HR can't manage our training anymore, so we have to take it on. My manager said, Lola, yeah, you're going to head um, the training team. I was like, I'm not HR. I don't do HR. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but you know what? When I give you something, you don't tell me problems. You give me solutions. 
you are solutions management. You do solutions management. I was like, oh, I'll take that. So I headed that team, which was wonderful. And during that time, I was also a mentor for a lot of the entry talent that was coming into the bank. And I could see that whilst they started very full of confidence because they came from Russell Group Universities with their first and two ones, they were a term that's quite harsh, but it's used, um, corporately clueless. So whilst they came in full of energy and enthusiasm, because they were not navigating those early stages of their career with the poise and confidence of their more seasoned colleagues, their confidence levels would go down. So they weren't given the challenges. Um, They were afraid to fail. And for me, that was very disheartening to see because they came with so much enthusiasm, so much passion, but because they didn't have the skills needed to effectively manage up or to present or to write a concise email, their confidence levels were going down. So I used to support them, do a few brown bag lunches to help engage and power, you know, really propel them. And in 2017, I was blessed with redundancy. And I was like, gosh, you know what? I really am enjoying this career coaching. I see the results. They are positive. I've got good feedback. Why didn't I just go into this full time? So I did. So I started initially going into schools because I felt if you teach the softer skills, I don't really like that term, the functional skills from an early age, they've got more of a chance to practice them because everything you do inside the corporate space, you can do inside an educational establishment. You can be a leader. You know, you can be a head boy, head girl. You can be head prefect. These are all leadership skills, collaboration, communication, empathy, that can all be expressed within an educational environment. So you will have a longer time to actually utilize them. So by the time you do enter into the corporate field, you're basically an expert. So I started working with education establishments in introducing those skills, but I was still getting calls about, and I just need some help with my career. I've just started, I'm not quite sure what to do. So I was like, right, okay, I'm still going to do my schools. I call that my passion project. So I love working with the younger people, but also providing career strategy coaching sessions, which is what I do now. So I utilized all my learnings and my failings from when I first started in the corporate space. My observations from what I saw whilst I was working in the corporate space and just the pain points of the young people who are entering into the corporate space to devise packages that meet those pain points. So they do become empowered. They do not lose their confidence, but they build upon their confidence when they enter into the workspace. So that's my my trajectory from senior business manager in investment banking to early career strategist. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking that through. It's brilliant to hear all about your backgrounds and, you know, what's driven you to set up and also talking about your redundancy as a blessing, because as you know, I do a lot of outplacement work. And of course, the news of redundancy can just be such a huge shock and incredibly difficult to take. And I think of all of the people I've supported, it probably is just a handful of the hundreds who have been able to view it as being a gift. Mm. And that's often because they feel there's some sort of calling or something else that they would really like to do. And actually, by 
being told that you're going to be leaving the company. It's that forced break that gives you the bravery to take the step and set up and do it. Exactly. And it is, I think it's, you know, it's like you said, the, the people who you have coached who've seen it as a gift are those who understand they have a call in. And I say, once you understand your values and your value proposition, it's not so much of a heart wrench when you're being told you'll be made redundant, but more of a liberation that actually possibly your values weren't aligned to the role you're being made redundant from. And this is your chance to pivot and align your values to your purpose, to a new role whereby you can live out your purpose and align your values. Because that's how, for me, that's how you get job satisfaction. So, yeah, it's when you understand that and literally your stars align or your values align, as it were, you feel it's actually a blessing. I'm sure I could talk to you about values and how important they are to know about for your career, but I'll be careful not to go off on a complete tangent because I could chat about it for ages. I completely agree with you. What I would love to be able to ask you next is around your work with organisations where you've seen that actually often early talent isn't necessarily getting the best support or being nurtured in the best way and you recognise how important Mm. it is to put that support in place. So could I start off by asking you, you know, why should we be putting a lot of time and energy into the new joiners in an organisation who are very early on in their career? I say that, you know, for me, your entry turn is your legacy because you want to build a talent pipeline. And from a standpoint whereby you have invested, you have recruited, you have got these people on board, you have identified already that they have potential. So they have potential. They themselves may not be aware of the potential that you have seen. But if you just leave them to their own devices, you've got the job crack on. You're doing your organization a disservice because you're not allowing that potential to manifest and you're not getting the full value that these young individuals are bringing to your organisation. It is wasted talent. You've literally got them into the door. Some organisations of, you know, it's sink or swim. You know, it's literally sink or swim. You have to do what you can. It's like, well, maybe that works in the 19th and possibly the 20th century, but hey, this is the 21st century. And the younger people are very much open to, you know, we the world is our oyster. We do have opportunities. And it's sometimes they just need that grounding to understand, give it a go but we are here to support you. And when you support them, you get the best out of them. And when you support them, they feel a sense of belonging. And as I always say, when you have, when you feel a sense of belonging, what happens? You stay. So your attrition rate, which generally within an organisation is highest for entry talent, you don't have that spike in high attrition. What you do have is higher retention. And what you're doing is you are building a talent pipeline. And when people say, okay, let's support our entry talent, I'm always very cautious to say, are you supporting all your entry talent? Entry talent is a wonderful big category. But within that, you will have entry talent from different social economic backgrounds. You will have entry talent, well, hopefully, from, you know, a vast breadth of ethnic communities. And everyone comes with their different challenges. And I'm speaking as a, I would say my age, but a woman of a certain age, <laughs> in 70s, 80s, East London on a council estate. 
if you're coming from that type of background, you are coming with the concept that you haven't had exposure to certain social capital. So possibly you haven't gone into, you haven't had work exposure. People say, have you had work experience? Work experience is when you've worked for one to two years. Work experience is not when you've had 10 days in an office. That's work exposure. You know how to use your past to enter in, to get past security, possibly how to, you know, top up your canteen card. But you haven't had work experience. You've had work exposure. Sorry, that's just my thing there. But, you know, what I'm saying in essence (laughs) is when you go in and maybe you're from a low socioeconomic background, you haven't had access to working or exposure to a corporate environment, you're not confident of speaking up, you're not confident of engaging one-on-one with your manager, you're a bit unsure of yourself, are you given the same opportunities to progress? Are you given the same support as those who have been exposed to going into a corporate space, who have that social capital, who've had that work exposure? So when you onboard your entry talent is very key, so, so key, Faye, that organisations ensure that their support for entry talent is holistic support. And also for females, you know, in a lot of organisations, well, let's say 99.9%, generally females do need that extra encouragement, is that self-belief that needs that, that just extra boost that you can do this. You know, you can go for promotions. You can put yourself forward. So again, for when organizations are looking and, you know, there's that key word that's been banned about, you know, we want diversity. You're only going to get it when you provide holistic support for all of your entry talent. And that's why I say when you invest in your entry talent, you are building a sustainable talent pipeline for the future. Because some organizations are not fit for purpose for the future because they are doing, they are taking the model they use in 1990s, you know, the noughties, as it were, and they haven't appreciated that the landscape is changing and their consumers and their clients are expecting more of them. So you have to adapt and you have to change. And this, you know, your young entry talent can give you the opportunity to do that, but you also have to invest in them before that happens. Mm, it's so interesting to hear you talking about it like that. I don't know if you know there's a Facebook group called the HR Ninjas. I don't know if oh, you've heard no, of I it. Haven't, but I will it's, it down. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. It's the kind of group that I wish had existed when I was working in HR, especially when I was in a standalone role, because it's a confidential space where people who work in HR can go to sort of chat about issues or challenges that they're going through and ask for advice from the HR community and one thing that cropped up recently in there that I noticed was a discussion around the Kickstarter scheme Mm. with the government that I'm sure you know all about but the idea is that you give opportunities to people who have probably had quite a tough start in life and have had difficulty entering the workplace and the discussion that I noticed that was going on was around the shock, actually, for some of the people, just what limited exposure they had had to work and that they were often from families where there may not be any adult role model who even has a job. So actually, there was so much support that they realised needs to be put in place to make sure that 
you know, the, the scheme it doesn't end up being a disaster. And that's not the case for everybody. Mm. But I think that if we are approaching this as people who are much further on in our careers, who potentially may come from more privileged backgrounds than some of these people, I think it can be really easy to not understand the challenges um, they're up against. And actually, you can really forget stuff as well. Like hearing you talking about women in the workplace, it suddenly took me back to one of my first jobs after university where I was temping somewhere And I just thought, oh, my gosh, everyone there just seemed so much older, so much more sophisticated. We were in this swanky building, you know, all glass and chrome. And I felt like I completely lost my voice. I literally never spoke. I think everyone must have thought I was the shyest, quietest person they'd ever encountered. I just wasn't brave enough to say anything because I was so scared Mm -hmm. of saying something stupid. And I also felt for the first time that I knew nothing because you go through school and further education, you know, it's such an academic focus a lot of the time. So you learn about subjects and you learn how to pass tests or write essays, but you don't necessarily learn anything about <laughs> the business world and what you talk about in the workplace even. It is. It's, it's so valid because, you know, just going back to the Kickstarter scheme that you mentioned, we're all best intentions. Obviously, the government rolled it out. But again, not looking at the support that is required because if you have organisations taking on the candidates from the Kickstarter scheme and they feel they have to put so much work in just in order for them to be functioning within the within their you know corporate environment, are they going to likely take on another Kickstarter? You know, because you don't want it to be a flawed experience. So again, it brings it down to the support that is required to really ensure yeah. that everyone has, I call them, equitable opportunities for progress. And if you haven't got that support in place, you're literally setting these people up for failure, not for success. And it's not looked at in a holistic way. It's looked at through a very narrow lens. And that's why I feel very privileged myself. I've gone through a trajectory of, you know, growing up in East London on a council estate, working with people who, you know, who, in their households, possibly, they are the first person to go on to higher education. Like you rightly said, maybe they haven't got anyone who's actually got a job. And it's understanding those challenges. And that's where empathy comes in place. Because if you look at it where everyone's had the same opportunities, no, they haven't, number one. And number two, how can we support more people to have access to broader opportunities? And you know, it's similar to yourself, I guess, you know, when I first started in investment banking, I was usually the only black person if not black female on the floor and I thought oh my gosh well okay I can either just do ostrich position and stick my head in the ground because I don't want to stand out or put my head up quite proudly and yes I do stand out and make sure I get noticed for the right reasons I clearly took the latter approach but it was that it was that essence whereby you don't have the training or you don't have the the support to give you the tools and the skills you know as to how can you speak out as a female who's transitioned into the corporate space and maybe, you know, there's only one or a handful of females there. How do you find your voice? How do you shake off that, you know, that I call grumbling on your shoulder telling you to be quiet because you're going to sound stupid? How do you clap back and say, I may sound stupid, but at least I'm going to learn something. If it is a stupid question, I will get the right answer. So I will answer it again. But I will also acquire knowledge. You know, how do you move yourself forward as opposed to being stuck in fear? 
And, you know, I think everyone has to go back to your first experiences. I wouldn't want anyone to experience how I felt when they started their first role, which is why I love doing what I do. So how, you know, how do you support other people? How can we support more people? So more people are more bolder in stepping forward into their greatness as opposed to shrinking back because of their fear. And so for anyone who's listening to this and thinks, oh, yes, I completely agree. I really want to start putting things in place to support our entry talent. I can see that investing in them and supporting them is, you know, setting the business up for success in the future. What are some of the key areas of focus that you think they need to be thinking about? I think, first of all, it's engaging your entry talent because, you know, you you bring them on board and you, you know, like an induction programme. The induction program tells them about your organisation. It doesn't tell you about them. So get to know your entry talent. One of the things I would say is seek ways to create safe spaces for them as well. Because I remember, you know, the most common thing I hear, and you said that, you know, is that fear of speaking out. And that could be the fear of just making, you know, sharing your opinions in a meeting, or it could be how to set boundaries. You know, you want to put the work in. So you're there working all hours, experiencing burnout, but you're too scared to say, actually, I can't do this now because you know my plate overflow, if, if it were. So can we prioritise what needs to be done? You know, finding, creating safe spaces for them, giving them training. It's not just about this is our organisation. These are our competitors. This is finance, this is HR, you know, this is, we are a cross-functional organisation. We work in the agile way. We don't do, find out about them. What are their needs? What are their challenges? Because they want to feel as though you do actually care about them. And, you know, caring is more than saying, you know, here's your paycheck. It's understanding, you know, what else do you need to do? I can't remember what organisation it was. I think it was like a new, a new dating site that's, an online dating site or what have you and they just said yeah they've given their employees was it paid leave for a week because they scaled up so oh, that, quickly yeah. was it a week or a day or something I think that was bumble yeah exactly that's it bumble and I was like wow okay so possibly they've heard murmurs that you know you know we're getting so busy and we can't you know we're chasing our tails and like well okay you know we're just gonna stop we're gonna stop give everyone a chance to catch their breath and it's not saying, no, we're, we're going to close down the app, but we're not to get any more applications. We're saying we want you to take care of you and do what you need to do first. Take care of yourself. You know, so listening to the yeah. voice of your most valuable resource, which are your employees. And as entry talent, they want to feel supported and they want to feel heard. I personally feel that this current demographic are very vocal. And sometimes when they do go into the into the workplace because they're not being heard they start shouting but not necessarily in a way that is productive and can be taken the wrong way or they just like you know this is not for me I'm leaving so ensure they are being heard and encourage them to speak and possibly give them guidance as to how they can voice their concerns you know and really engage them work with them so that's one and I would say definitely creating safe spaces is very important and also understanding that Whilst you have a collective of entry talent, they are not all the same. Yes, absolutely. It all comes back to that yeah, best practice, doesn't it, of fostering employee voice and listening rather than going in and thinking, 
I know what we know what's best this is what you need even if your intentions are well they will be extremely good yeah. actually it's going to be more powerful if you check in first with what really is required but when we spoke last time one thing that really struck me was when you were talking about email yeah and I can't remember how this came up, if it's actually in your previous role when you were in banking and you noticed yeah. the um, <laughs> that a lot of people needed some guidance around how to write their emails. So can I just ask you to talk about well, that for a course. moment? So it was when I was in um, banking and I was getting an email from a graduate on another team. And I always say with all emails, you know, you're either asking for something, you either want feedback or you've got, you know, you, you want to get a sign off. And in all those situations, all I need is about three lines. When do you want it and why do you want it? So I was getting an email. I think the first email was, it was probably about a good 10 to 15 lines. And maybe about the second or the third line in, I just lost the will to live. I just yeah, I just closed it and never opened it again. So I also said I got a follow-up email, which again was the same breadth, the same length. So I just picked up the phone. I said, hi, yes, got your email. What is it that you want? And there was a bit like, oh, um, well, in the email, I said, no, 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 no. What do you want? Just talk to me, tell me. And I said, okay, so I'm, I'm going to give you a few tips here. I'm giving you exactly three minutes, three whole minutes. Oh, that's so, so, okay. I said, you know, and I tell them being flustered. I didn't want to seem as though I was, you know, telling them off, as it were. So I said, you know, just come over to my desk, you know, where we are, or just meet me in the pod and let's have a quick discussion. Because I used to get these emails and I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, you're making people lose their will to live and no one's responding to you. And because no one's responding to you, you can't do what you need to do. Yeah, so your manager's giving you a task. You're not getting the feedback that is required for you to move on in this task. And then your manager's now thinking you're incompetent, you can't gather basic information. And that simply stems from the fact that you have written me a war and peace email and almost tried to include Oxford referencing as well, which is not required <laughs> for sending an email. So I had a, a quick session in, in a pod, you know, I just said, let's have a quick conversation. I said, three lines, even in the header, from the header alone, I would know what you want. FYI, please respond, action required. Everyone knows what you're asking from the get-go. And it was like, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Keep it simple. Keep it simple is the best way to go in all your communications. Keep it simple. Anything else is waffle and time-wasting. And I was like, wow, okay. And so it, it was a case of, and I, and I think, Probably about two weeks later, going into the canteen, or actually by the by the coffee station, I've got a tap on my shoulder. It's like, hi, Lola. I was like, oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you so much. Thank you. The email, the email tip. Oh, my gosh. I've just been able to get so much information and put together my report, and it's been so easily done. And da-da-da. I said, yeah. So it saves you time, right? Yeah. I said, okay, cool. I'm saying next tip is if you don't get a reply, pick up the phone and make a phone call, just a quick phone call. Let your voice, start utilising your voice a bit more. Oh, okay, I just think everyone's so busy. Yeah, they're too busy to reply to emails. Answering the phone, did you get the email? Are you coming to a meeting? Great, job done. They get to hear your voice. You can speak. And I think it can be so easy to forget that actually 
that person has never had to send a work email before. Mm. So they are trying their absolute best to do a great job. But if there is no one to teach them how to do it, then there's a big chance that they're not going to get it quite right. And again, I think so much of what you said sort of was transporting me back in time (laughs) to when I was younger, because I remember one boss, oh my gosh, I used to send him these essay length emails they'd be like oh hello I'm I'm so sorry to trouble you and I know that I'm here to make your life easier so um uh, you know please don't worry about replying to me straight away if you can't but I just wanted to let you know that and it went on and on and on and I hope you're having a lovely day um you know forever I didn't go as far as referencing (laughs) like you were saying but it went on forever and I remember the replies that he started sending me were a Y, the letter Y for yes or an N for no. (laughs) And so then I was like agonizing, like, oh my gosh, have I really annoyed him? He hasn't even written a whole word (laughs) to to reply to me with. And actually, I'm probably still guilty of writing emails that are too long, although thankfully not as long as they were then. Yeah, you have to remember as well, and, and it goes both ways sometimes, actually. So you've got the graduates who've just come from that intensive academic background where they're used to writing war and peace dissertations. And then you could go to those who are on the Kickstarter scheme who've maybe just left school, who have left college, who are in Snapchat mode. So everything is abbreviated that you can't even understand what the message is because you are not Snapchat fluent, as it were. So it's like, well, what does this mean? And so, you know, you have to really break it down and ensure they are clear on what is the appropriate communication to utilize in the workspace in order to get an effective response. So what is effective communication? And it's separate from communication in the academic space and it's separate from social communication. They are very different things to be supporting with your entry talents, as well as listening to them and figuring out what is it, what kind of support are they asking for? Have you got any other tips as to how you achieve this sort of holistic ideal that you've been mentioning? Yeah, so definitely the listening is important. And I would say also look at your organisation and what is lacking there and what are they bringing. So expectation management. So what are you expecting of your entry-level talent? Is it realistic compared to where they are? So when you bring them in, like I alluded to previously, you saw the potential in them. They may need to help harvesting that potential. And again, I'll go back to that whole value alignment piece. If someone is not flourishing in a particular department, are they understanding of their, I'll call it your personal value proposition? It could be they are in the wrong department, which is why they're not flourishing. Do you have assessments or tools to ensure that they are being placed in the right department where they can flourish? Because you may have someone who you feel is going to be a whiz in, let's say, marketing, but really and truly, they're more best suited to maybe product design. So do you have that flexibility in your program to say, well, actually, you know what, Faye? You know, I know that you're currently in in marketing and, you know, from all the accounts you're doing well, but to do great from an assessment that you've done, do you feel you could, you know, do you want to try some time in, you want to do a quick rotation in product design? 
So you don't lose people simply because they didn't do their value alignment piece. Sometimes they just want to get into the organization and they haven't made that connection that within the organization, there are different departments who do different functions. I mean, obviously they realize that, but what I'm saying is they don't realize the values that they have and their unique, I call it your, your unique sprinkle power and the values that you can give can be more aligned to another department. That's such a good point because you're right, although, again, entry talent may be aware of the different departments, they're not necessarily going to appreciate the nuances and differences and different skill sets and yeah, different values that they're able to plug into or utilise. I mean, I am a career coach and having worked as an internal recruiter and HR person, so I've been exposed to so many different jobs and career paths and which I absolutely love learning about. But I would say every single week I find out about a new role that I hadn't heard of before. And, you know, I'm 43. So how on earth can we expect people who are considerably younger than me (laughs) to be aware of all those opportunities? But as you're talking, I'm also trying to put myself back in my shoes as to how I would have felt when I worked in HR oh my goodness, you know, it's wonderful to have all of this wisdom and ideas shared around how to really support that entry-level talent. But working in HR, it is a busy, busy role, especially since the pandemic struck. I mean, everyone is absolutely working flat out. And as well as being a busy role, you really want to do your absolute best. So this is something I think that people aren't going to want to do in a half-hearted way. But also, I think there can be sometimes a tendency in HR to think, oh gosh, you know, we've got to take this all on ourselves because you are seen as the, you are the people function. You are seen as the key linchpin of the business as far as developing and supporting its people are concerned. But actually, as you've been talking more and more, it's been striking me how how important the managers are. So the people that all of these fresh recruits are reporting into, they're the people who are going to have that day-to-day contact with them. So what sort of support, advice, training, or how can you bring the managers in so that they are able to deliver this holistic experience or at least feedback on if they think that certain bits of support need to be put in place or think oh yes actually this person isn't shining in this role but I can see they might do well in another department Mm. because as HR you can't possibly do all of that you need to have the buy-in and the support of the people around you so have you got some advice around how you actually would go about tackling that? I would say, whilst you're quite right, you know, it's not, you can't all be on HR, but I feel that HR need to put the framework and the processes in place. So it doesn't seem an added burden that is placed on managers because managers will, you know, manage, sometimes managers are a bit, what's the word now? You know, when they are managing entry talent, they haven't got the patience to take them through the paces, as it were. So, and HR, you know, you deal with that, you know, you sort out, you put the programs together and then bring them back to us when they're fit for purpose type of thing. So in terms of supporting the entry talent from the managers, I feel there has to be a framework, there has to be processes or assessments that 
the entry tone actually do maybe on a monthly basis where they get that data back and whether it's like metrics and just think, well, actually, they are a bit more suited to this particular department and have that conversation with the manager. You know, from the assessment that faded, we think actually, you know, from everything that's been put in, they may be better suited towards product control. You know, what do you feel? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Okay, let's have a conversation. So it's a two-way thing. So it doesn't sit solely with the manager. HR, you know, oversee everything as it were, but the manager is being guided or has the support of HR via the processes that are in place to support their assessment of the entry talent. Otherwise, I feel managers would just say, it's not my job. I am not human resources. Mm. It's on you. And if you don't want to do it, well, say la vie, my friend, say la vie. So I think it is definitely much, definitely that partnership that has to be embedded and almost a change in culture. So HR are not seen as the guardians of everything related to people. People within the organization see themselves as guardians of each other the best way they can be. And that is supported by frameworks and processes that are that's rolled out via HR, but everyone is part of it. And within this partnership ideal... Yes, our, our ideal world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, within this partnership ideal, as you're talking again, I'm thinking, in my mind, there would have to be some sort of training and support for managers as well. Because when you said something earlier around the fact that actually there's the issue of some people being too scared to speak up or others starting to shout too loudly, I think there can be a bit of a culture shock or this generational divide slightly. And managers who haven't been prepared for that are really taken aback or unsure how to handle it. Mm. So I know of um, one of my friends who's in quite a senior role had a much more junior employee approach him and effectively tell him off for something. And he was just so shocked. He's like, you know, that would never have happened when I was their age, never have happened. But I mean, the organisation he works for actually do have a lot of training and support around this. So although he was shocked, he was able to appreciate, okay, this generation (laughs) approaches things differently. What are your thoughts around that with regards to training and the key things that managers need to be aware of? I think it, it is very, very important. And one of the tools that has been commonly, the thing that's been commonly thrown out there is reverse mentoring, where they're like, oh, well, you know, you can understand how the young people are today. And da, da, da. But there's no strategy, there's no concept, there's no objective set around it. I'm all for mentoring and particularly reverse mentoring, but that, there has to be a strategy set out around it as well and objectives and volunteers who sign up who want to be part of it. But one thing I'll say for training for managers, and it should be a continuous thing, it's how to effectively manage, you know, through the generations. And particularly as you move from, I don't even know now, um, baby boomers who could be managing Gen Z, there's like you've seen, like you just spoke of your friend, there's a whole heap of difference. And some people may feel, oh my God, you know, that would never happen. But it is happening now. How are you going to deal with it? And it's not to, it's to get that mindset, I guess, change. <laughs> okay it is simply change how are we going to accept the change how are you going to implement change and accommodate the change that is happening 
So you don't become offended or you don't berate the person that is talking to you in a way that you are so unfamiliar with. You take the offense and it turns into a negative situation. And you then break down that relationship between yourself as a manager and the person you are managing. So I would say when I think when you become a manager, you usually get training at the beginning. I know I did, you know, how to be an effective manager, but there's nothing to carry you through. So you do the you do the training at the end and then that's it. You know, they feel you're set for life and everything else you learn on the job. Is that the most effective way? No, I don't think so. I believe it's always good to have refresher courses and some particular training I feel as a manager should just be mandatory anyway to ensure it's consistent. Mm-hmm. Just as you have risk training, um, particularly in the corporate space, you have risk training that is mandatory. I do believe that managers should have consistent training that will help them embed a, a, a productive work environment and culture. Because, at the, you know, managers do, do set the pace as to the culture that is going to be present within their team. Yes. And actually, again, as you're talking, I feel like all these light bulbs are sparking just listening to you speak, Lola. It's making me think, well, it's all very well me saying, well, of course, the managers are so important and they are important. But actually, if we strip it back for a moment, what you said at the very beginning of the discussion, which is the impact that this entry talent can have on the organisation as they progress and grow and develop, it's key for everyone that they're interacting with really Mm. to be supportive and to embrace that diversity and to help them on their journey. So actually, if you and I are going about changing the world now, (laughs) why don't we just say, let's make this mandatory training for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. And it's true, you know, because you have to understand that to cultivate the culture you want, you have to bring people along on the journey. You can't just say, right, here we are now. We are now a very um, diverse and equitable, inclusive organisation. Oh, when did that happen? How are you bringing people along in your journey? You have to bring everyone along. So you do change the culture. People make up your culture. Leaders drive the culture. So if you're training the managers, but you're not training your C-suites, it's going to remain the same. Or it'd be like working in two different, you know, disparate organisations. So like you rightly said, everyone has to be brought along on this journey. It's so, so important because you miss certain pockets and you get pockets that are not joining you on your journey. Yes. And, and that it's everybody in between, isn't it? All those daily interactions that they'll be having with colleagues from all sorts of departments and levels of seniority. So I'm now conscious of the time and I have had you very kindly giving up a lot of your time to speak to me about this today. So thank you. So Lola, you've shared so much with us today. Thank you ever so much. I I love all of these tips and ideas. What would be really helpful to know is a little bit more about the services that you actually offer for organisations. So if someone is listening to this and thinking, oh, I'd love to get some support with our entry talents, how can you help? What kind of things can you offer to them? Excellent. Thank you, Faye. So I do a range of, I call them engage, empower, engage, equip and empower services and retain. 
I'm very big on the retention of your entry talent. So they range from a workshop where I just introduce them to something similar to what we discussed earlier, but, you know, the soft skills are required to really feel confident that you are an official corporate employee, as it were, um, how to communicate, how to manage up, and also how to own your career development. So we do a half-day workshop. We do a four-day workshop as well, which extends upon that, where we look at some of the challenges that they may be facing and how to overcome them. And then my signature um, service within this engagement is a four-month program, which is a career cohort program, which spans four months. And I come in, hopefully I'll be coming in to offer this for one full day over four months, so one day a month. And I work through a program and it helps these young people move from a place of whereby they are a bit unconfident of themselves, unsure of their values, not fully aware of their personal value proposition, not knowing how to manage their career or plan for it, to at the end of it, they are confident, they are fully aware of their personal value proposition and can communicate it. And also they have total ability to know how to not just plan for their career, but actually become the architects of their career. Because what I find a lot of for entry talent is they feel it is their manager's job to promote them, to develop them, to take ownership of their career. So after our little interaction for four months, they are fully aware that they are the owners of their career and they need to know how to plan for it and where they want to get to, but also seek opportunities and create opportunities for their own development. And whilst they're in that space, what generally happens, the impact it has on the entry level talent is they become bolder. They are not fearful of making mistakes. They own them, they learn from them and they move on, which means their growth cycle is far quicker. So what what may take them a year to learn, they're quite happy in making a mistake, not being scared of making a mistake, owning it, learning from it, communicating what they've learned and how it will not happen again and move on. So that's growth for them and also for the organisation. And also they are able to really bring their whole self to work. So it's not about I want to fit in. It's more along the lines of how do I stand out and get noticed for the right reasons. So we move from ostriches to fully fledged peacocks who want to get noticed and are not are not shy about singing their own praises and speaking up and ensuring their voices are heard and also by engaging with the organisation. So as I spoke in the beginning about you know, how do organisations, why they need to engage with young people, with their entry talent, within the programme are also explain why it's very important that they too engage with the organization it's a two-way street yeah so they will come to you but you also have to go to them as well and I introduce a segment called build your name which stands for you know the importance of networking of being an ally of having a mentor and employee engagement so it's really about bringing their whole self into the organization and shining Sorry, I'm so happy about that point. I've gone forever about it, but yes. Well, it sounds fantastic. No, it's all that passion shining through again. So 
Again, for anyone listening, if they think, oh, this sounds exactly what we need, or they would just like to know more about you and the business, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you or learning more? Okay, so you can get in touch with me via the website, which is www.solomonconsultancy.com. And Solomon, I know it's going to be in there, but as I alluded to in the beginning, it's actually S-O-L-U-M-A-N, and it's Solutions Management. So I provide solutions to all your entry talent dilemmas, as it were. Also on LinkedIn, very active. So Lola on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. Or if you're really bold, you can send me a direct email at lola at solomonconsultancy.com. Fantastic. And I'll make sure that I put all of those links in the show notes as well so that people can track them down easily. So before I say thank you and let you go, can I just ask you to share a book recommendation with us all? Of course. One of the books that I, is my go-to and I used it myself is The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. And it says on the cover, Critical Success Strategies for New Leaders at All Levels. And I recommend it to those who are just starting out in their career and when they see the cover they get a bit flummoxed oh but I'm not a new leader I said before you lead anyone else you have to lead yourself so you are a new leader because you are now leading yourself you know self-leadership is also leadership they're like oh okay and it just sets the tone for how they can actually progress in the entry talent of their career and beyond as well that's one of my recommended reads a great recommendation. I haven't got that on my bookshelf because I actually lent it to one of my clients and uh, it hasn't reappeared yet. So I have the audible version as well so I can listen to it. So um, yes, I would completely second that recommendation. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you and I hope that we get to catch up again soon. Excellent. Thank you for having me, Faith. It's been a total pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode today. If you did like it, please do rate and review the show for me on Apple Podcasts. I'd hugely appreciate it because reviews make a big difference in encouraging Apple to show the podcast to more people. And if you do review the podcast, please do let me know so I can say a proper thank you to you. You can always drop me an email at faye at brightskycareercoaching.co.uk or by connecting with me and messaging me on LinkedIn. Thanks so much, and I'll be back again with the next episode next week.